Do you dread tax time because you haven't saved enough for taxes? Are you totally confused and lost about your business finances? Do you worry that you'll never be able to retire or save for your kid's college education? If you bury your head in the sand because you think you'll never be a money person, I want to let you in on a huge secret. All you need to manage your private practice finances are a simple series of skills that you can learn. After all, you already did the hard work of graduating from college, becoming a therapist, and starting your private practice. Hi, I'm Lindsay Bonham. I'm a therapist turned money coach and the creator of Money Skills for Therapists. I've helped hundreds of therapists just like you develop peace of mind about their money. I invite you to watch my free masterclass where I teach my four-step framework to get your business finances totally in order. In the masterclass, I cover the three biggest mistakes that therapists make that keep them from getting clarity on their private practice finances, the secret that most accountants don't want you to know, and why working with your mindset and emotions is essential to changing your patterns with money. This masterclass is for therapists and health practitioners who are running or about to start a private practice. It is the first step in learning about my signature course, Money Skills for Therapists. Register today with the link in the show notes to take the first step to go from money confusion, anxiety, and shame to feeling clear and empowered about your money. I look forward to supporting you. Money is an empty symbol, just like any other symbol. It's what you decide to put into it. And I think for me, at least, money represents space. Can I have space for myself? Can I have space for the things I want? Welcome to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast, where we answer this question. How can therapists and health practitioners go from money shame and confusion to feeling calm and confident about their finances and get money really working for them in both their private practice and their lives? I'm your host, Lindsay Bonham, therapist turned money coach and creator of the course Money Skills for Therapists. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. So today is our final episode in season two. It is hard to believe, but season two is coming to an end. This is our final episode, and we're going to take a little break over probably a month or two, and then we'll be back at it in a little while. I love, love, love doing this podcast, and I also appreciate having seasons so that we have space to breathe and line up all of our guests for the next season. Uh, This is very much part of my kind of sensitive nature or not having endless energy to set it up this way so that we can be nice and grounded and putting out episodes that we feel really good about in the podcast. So look for season three coming in a little while, but for now, our last episode of season two. So today's podcast guest is Jen Fredette. Jen is a deep thinker. She's a mac and cheese eater, she shared in her bio. Um, She does depth psychotherapy, and she's also a marketing consultant who helps therapists who long for more in their life and practice than the status quo. Jen is a grad of my very first time that I ran the Money Skills for Therapists course back in 2018. She was part of the beta course, which we talk about just a little bit in our interview today. And Jen is a deep thinker above all, which is one of the things I really appreciate about her. Uh, She has a knowledge of 
mythology and spirituality and just an approach to information that I really appreciate. She's very much like a booky kind of human, which I love in this day and age when so many of us are always moving so fast all the time. Um, I feel like she has this real depth in the way that she thinks about and approaches things. And today we dig into the challenge of being the default person for everything when you are a parent and a therapist and just a woman in the world. We talk about what money means for her and thinking about the meanings that we attribute to money and what it can do for us. And then we get into the importance of doing your own personal work as you're growing your practice and maybe even expanding your practice and expanding the amount of money that you accumulate or that runs through your practice and therefore the impact that you have, the importance of doing our personal work and the negative impacts that can come when we don't do our personal work while we're also growing our presence in the world through our businesses. Here's Jen Fredette. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. I'm so excited to talk with you today. I am excited too. So Jen, to give relationship context to folks listening, we've known each other since 2018. I believe you were in the very first cohort of Money Skills for Therapists. I absolutely was. My beta round. Yeah. I bought a scanner and expensed it as a business expense and I still use that scanner and it delights me. Uh, (laughs) So. Thanks for helping me get a tax break on that. <laughs> you mean like from taking the course, you got a scanner to scan your receipts? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. And Jen, your space that you occupy, and I feel like are like carving out is and evolving is you're a, a depth psychotherapist. You are a deep thinker of all kinds. You have an awesome podcast of your own, A Thinker's Guide. And I'm very excited to have you on the show because when I think about just kind of like thoughtful, informed, someone who knows mythology, which I could not claim to know. I think of Jen Fredette. And also as a bonus, you also teach marketing to therapists, which we'll talk about I later. Do. So I you kind of, I, I feel like you've got your finger in a few metaphorical pots. I love that idea. The image that just came to mind is like having a really generous spice cabinet of like, <laughs> oh, there's like lots of things I can pull from. Um, it just depends on what dish do I want to cook up today? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So with that, I'm curious... Jen, c- coming from like the schools that you are, schools of deep thoughts, what have you been thinking about lately when it comes to therapists and money? You know, it's interesting. I have, we were talking about how I have a young daughter and we still don't have childcare yet. And I just getting over the stomach flu, I was like celebrating last night by catching up on work, which is, I don't know, something I should be celebrating. But I was like, oh, this is amazing. I could just stay up and I stayed up till midnight which was a terrible idea because the baby wakes up at like 6.30. And at like 6.45, where I'm like, all right, she's up. I have to get up with her. I'm like dragging myself to the bathroom to wash my hands, put in my contacts. I thought, you know, it really fucking sucks to be the default. There's so much in my life. And I have an amazing partner who, if I said to him, like, dude, I stayed up very unwisely till midnight last night, writing emails to my list. Could you please get with the baby? He still would, but I still need to breastfeed her. I'm still going to be awake for some portion. Becoming a parent has really showed me in how many ways I operate as default. 
in business, as therapist, as partner, as woman, in all of these ways. And I've been thinking a lot about the things I hear from the healers that I work with who also operate as default, right? That I got to do this. I got to do that. Like, how am I going to fit all of these things in, Jen? I don't know. Like, what should I do? There's not a sense that there's a lot of help or ease of like, who can you rely on? Right. And when you say default, you mean it's you. You're the one who's going to be taking care of X, Y, Z. Yes. And wearing this hat in so many different areas of your life, being that default person. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean you don't have help, but default means you have to then opt for somebody else to give you help. Yes. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yes. Like the work is yours to disperse. Yes. It's on your plate unless you do the work of putting it on somebody else's plate. Yes. Which is sometimes more work than actually just doing the work. <laughs> and so then people are like, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I certainly do that. Like mm-hmm. it, to go back to this morning example, my husband absolutely would have gotten up with the baby. He would have taken that on and he does some mornings, but mornings are not his jam. And so often the way we've worked it out is I don't have to worry about the five to six thirty piece. That's always his time. And I can just sit and do whatever I'm going to do. That's not my default. That's his default. All the other times though, I have to ask. And he's like, well, what does she do? And like, how do I do this? And like, where is this? And where is that? And do I have to feed the cats? I don't really want to feed the cats. Jen, can you feed the cats when you get up? That there's all these other pieces that end up stacking that it's it's easier to do. It's just easier to do for Hmm. me. And I've been thinking about this US specifically about like therapist and money that there are times that I see therapists not investing in themselves. And it, it might actually be that they're spending a lot of money to try to learn, to try to like do it themselves, like do it yourself to success without necessarily investing in the help to literally like take things out of their brain and like, let it live with somebody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing. Cause when you were saying how the, for you personally can sometimes be a struggle to like outsource. I feel like this is something I've very been consciously working on over the last few years. I was just talking about this with a friend this weekend. I had the, the pleasure of, of using my money to have a, a spa getaway with a very good friend going to like the water baths, the Scandinavian spa, like hot pools, cold pools, sauna. It was wonderful. And I was telling her how something that I've definitely overcome in the last few years is two things. One is the idea that I can do it better than other people. Mostly I can't. (laughs) What I've learned is like, I've, I've figured out the things where it's like, this is my gift. This is my zone of genius. This is where I shine. And like in my business, these are the areas where I am it's my business. Like I make these decisions, these strategic, like top level vision decisions about like who we are, what our values are, you know, what are our general strategies we're going for. But in terms of actually carrying out the work, I have consciously built a team of people who are way better than me at the things that I have outsourced to them. Like things that I would struggle with are things that they do with ease. That's one piece that comes to mind for me is like, I think that sometimes, and I'm curious, like your thoughts on where some of this comes from for us. Like, is it conditioning? Is it patriarchy? Is it perfectionism? Like why we often find it so hard? Cause I know it's something I've worked very hard to unlearn and shift. And so it's been kind of like a, oh, to realize, I think I did it. Outsourcing is actually now my natural way of going to, which of course, like we need some amount of money to be able to outsource. And that's always something that like, I talk about with with students and therapists is like that return on investment, being able to think through where your money is going to serve you well to outsource. Because it's not like we always have like a $20,000 outsource pot just sitting there. 
every month we have to make choices. But then the other thing that I think about, and this might be getting like a little bit too close to the bone, but do you know the concept of weaponizing competence? Yes. It just came to me as you were talking about your partner asking you like, but do I have to do this? Do I have to do this? Like sometimes we do get pushback from people in our lives because it's easy for them, easier for them if we are the default. That actually does benefit them unconsciously or consciously. It's easier for them if we just do the things that we've always done. Well, and it's interesting too. We actually, he and I had this conversation about six months ago. And one of the things I valued was that he was able to own like, yeah, there are some places where I do play that out, Mm -hmm. but also recognizing places where I also sometimes weaponize my own competence Mm -hmm. against myself. And he didn't put it that way. He's he's much more gentle than I am. <laughs> but there is a place that he will say, but Chen, I if you will just say, like, just come let me know you want me to take the baby. And like, oh, but I don't, but I don't want to. I need to, but I don't want to because there's something. And I do think that for me, it's a lot of internalized stuff that I picked up in childhood. I mean, not just in terms of the patriarchy and white supremacy and how they teach us that we ought to be and what roles we ought to play. But I grew up in a community that amplified those messages, that there was really a sense that I was not meant to have a job outside of the home, that I was meant to be a full-time stay-at-home parent who tended the hearth. This actually comes up sometimes when he and I will go for a walk, not so much with the baby now, but before we would be walking and he's taller than I am, but he would slow his pace down, like to crawl. And I would still fall a couple of paces behind him because there was something ingrained in me when I was younger is you let the men go before you literally and metaphorically. So yes, I think some is his stuff, but some of it is mine as well. And I think sometimes, at least in our dynamic, what can happen is I end up playing victim. Look at all the things that I have to hold. Look at all the things I'm doing. I'm so burned out. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm the one making those decisions. There's plenty of shit that also happens that it's like, that's not on me. Like that happened. It's hard. Like we have to figure out how. Oh, for sure. Yes. To draw this back, you were asking like where some of this comes from. I do think at least in mental health training, I would imagine in other like caregiving, especially like more hands-on female dominated uh, spaces, that there is a sense of you're supposed to be the giving tree. Yes. And like, just, just keep giving more of yourself Mm. and wow, doesn't that feel good? Right. Giving is a gift in itself. Yes. Yes. And here's what's so tricky though, because feminists are like, no, it's not like it's terrible. And like, hold yourself and like, I don't know, be more like the men. Right. Like, yes. Right. Once. We can get that backlash opposite messaging. Yeah. But giving does feel good. Yes. And so yes. like, how do you then walk that balance of, okay, I don't actually have to be the default in everything, which in and of itself is its own kind of power and control. And you're yeah. asking about perfectionism. And I think perfectionism is just the move to control what you can when everything around you feels uncontrollable. What are you thinking about all this, Lindsay? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting thing because it makes me think too about martyrdom, right? Mm-hmm. And like that, and also just this narrative busy. We're all busy. We're all so busy, right? That is in the water now. It's like as a culture. And I notice myself using that sometimes as a reason that I'm not getting back to a certain person or whatever. Mm-hmm. Although I know, obviously mm-hmm. we we prioritize things, but there is this culture and narrative of busyness. And I see this, especially for therapists who like ourselves are also parents, 
where it's like, you're busy all day. Usually you've overpacked your schedule because most therapists that I work with, unless they've actually made really specific choices, you default into working a little bit too much or a lot too much all the time. So you're busy at work. There's this outlay, you're giving, 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 and then you get home. And then there's this like family waiting for your attention. And then you give whatever's left sometimes resentfully because you're already kind of done for the day, but your day's not done. And then you go to bed. Uh, If you're me, you scroll on TikTok for far too long and then you go to bed and you start all over. Right. And so I think there is this way in which it's in the culture. And I think because it's in the culture and we're in a caring profession, the way that it looks for us is through this, like giving, caring, taking care of all the time. Right. And like not just being responsible for like tasks or things that need to get done, but being responsible for emotional caregiving, people's wellness, right? Like thinking through that that client session you just had and, and going and doing some reading to like better serve that client the next time. It's like constantly this like outward facing. Yeah, I think it is tricky for people to find that balance without, as you say, shifting to the exact black and white opposite, which is like, no, it's all for me, which also I think is it's out of balance. Neither space actually gives you space, mm. right? I was mm-hmm. thinking as you're talking about how busy things are. I don't know that I always think about myself being very busy, although I am, but it's that all the space has gotten filled, not a lot of space for me. And so then it's sort of like, do I sleep or do I stay up and have fun writing emails? Like (laughs) there doesn't end up being a lot of space for us. It was just thinking about like when people like shift into that place that it's not quite climbing the ladder, but it's sort of like trying to reach the pinnacle success. And actually, let me back up a little bit. We have known each other for a while and I've hung out in this space of like watching therapists go from, oh my gosh, I can only make like 50,000 a year. And that would be like really like making it to like, I want to run like a seven figure business and like, I'm going to do all these things. And like, here's how I'm going to scale. I have a lot of social anxiety. And so I just have mostly hung out lurking, watching everybody do their stuff <laughs> the past few years. And then finally, like with the help of my coach, I'm like, okay, I can, I can like come hang out with maybe some of the kids right. that, yes, yes. that it's a really interesting, I don't deserve anything. Therefore I'll, I just have to like take what I get to actually, I can have something. I'm worth this amount. I'm worth this amount. I'm worth this amount. This is something I just, I'm always hearing people talk about charging what they're worth, which drives me crazy because I don't, I don't know how one can quantify that. Like I charge 250 an hour for my therapy clients. I charge way more for consulting now, but that has nothing to do with my worth. It has to do with the expertise that I might be able to offer it has to do with the space that I'm going to hold. And then I watch people transmit this. I'm going to charge what I'm worth. I'm going to make what I'm worth. But then there's this sense of those who don't make as much right. are not worth as much. And then there's this dignity piece. It doesn't actually matter how much money you have or how much money you're charging. There's not dignity for you or the people that you 
right. you're working with. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. First of all, I mean, it's not about what you're worth. I think um, the way I think of it is you're selling a service. What is the worth of your service? And the worth of your service is like what somebody's willing to pay you for that service. And there's a lot of factors that go into what somebody's willing to pay you for a service, right? And part of that is about the learning that you've done, the natural skills you're bringing to it, the experience you're able to share with them. But also part of it is just how much you've been able to convey to them the value of it. How do you set up the structure so that they get maximum value out of that time together? You know, there's so many components into what you can charge for a service that people will pay sustainably. Yeah. Yeah. What I hear and what I noticed myself is that, yeah, I do think that we end up accidentally falling into like capitalist logic where it's like more money equals better. If you have more money, therefore you're also better. And if you have less money, therefore you're worse. Right. And I think that if we actually spelled it out that clearly, people would be like, no, 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 that's not what I think. That's not how I feel. But I do think that we can end up slipping into that sometimes when we get so focused on our fees and what we charge and what we're making. And like, I'm always very suspicious of that, that top line number, the seven figure business being a numbers person. I know that that actually really means nothing about how much you're actually getting paid, how much your team is getting paid. Is it a quality workplace? Are you, is your quality of work still the same? Are your clients getting quality of experience? That means that your business is sustainable. Like there's so many other things in that mix that get missed when we go for that kind of like vanity metric off the top. But I do think that, yeah, we end up accidentally buying into the things that we were suspicious of, rightly so, which is that money determines your worth. Yeah. I I love actually hearing you talk about it as a vanity metric. I'm like showing all my vulnerabilities with you today, but I said to my coach maybe about a year ago, I was like, I think I just want to run a seven figure business. I think that would be fun and interesting to try to figure out how to do. And she's like, okay, cool. Like, let's talk about it. And so I've had it in the back of my mind of like, wouldn't this be cool, interesting to do? And I am, I've done a lot of school. There's like, oh, that's right. This is like trying to get the A plus. This kind of <laughs> best all around student. The a plus oh, in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there is something kind of meaningless about it, which actually in a lot of ways is really lovely because then if you're willing to be conscious and be thoughtful about it, you can bring the meaning you want to bring. And if you remain unconscious, if you're not willing to examine your own biases, the own stuff that has steeped into your bones. Audre Lord, is it that you can't rebuild the master's house using the master's tools? And I think that's true. And I think sometimes we take it so literally like, well, does that mean I can't have money that I can't have all of this? But maybe actually what it means is you get to show up, but you show up and you choose to use your own tools that have been diminished or invalidated that instead of giving parts of yourself away, you nurture those things that are actually giving. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, what it makes me think about is how do you still strive to take up space? (laughs) Don't fall into that narrative of like, well, you need to be small because you're a woman, because you're a person of color, because you're disabled, because your family historically has not had money. Therefore stay in your spot, right? Don't (laughs) claim any power. How do we avoid that? And don't buy into that narrative. But at the same time, be ambitious, build cool shit, you know, like build a business you're excited about that is a reflection of your values, right? And the things that are meaningful to you. Because I think that's where the risk can be that we sometimes get lost is we do start to get so focused on like those numbers or whatever that A plus that we're striving for. Now that we're no longer being given A pluses, we make up our own A pluses to go for. Um, How do you still have like a meaningful values? based business or a business that reflects 
your values and kind of amplifies your values in the world and not fall into those those traps of just kind of money equals good. We talked before we started recording, I had offered some things that we could talk about today and you were like reading them back to me. I was like, oh, those are really hard questions. <laughs> questions you suggested for yourself, just for the listeners who are listening. Yeah. Yes. And this is not a question I suggested for myself. I was like, oh gosh, we should have stuck with my questions. Like, That's a hard <laughs> Or minor harder. <laughs> I like it. You say this often to therapy clients, and I've started to say it to my consulting clients too. Like, oh, I have many thoughts about that. And mm-hmm. now let me sort yes. through. Yes. Like, where do we go? What I often think about is how we need to do our own work of healthy entitlement as opposed to continuing to fawn, flee, like have trauma responses essentially to those who take up more space than is necessary for them. I've been often on watching the confirmation hearings for the newest Supreme Court judge. It's like watching an abuse situation play out. And here are these people taking up so much space, so much privilege and not having boundaries that just isn't right, isn't fair. And so part of, I think, what we actually need to do is have some healthy entitlement for what do you actually need and want? When I sit with clients as well as with students, sometimes like, well, I don't really know what I need. Like I have my basic blah, 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 blah needs met. Say, well, what would you want for your clients? What would you want for your kids? What would you want for your partner? What is the baseline for other people? Okay. That is now the baseline for you. And I think that's the first piece was the first very random abstract response. My second thought was building a business has felt a lot like gardening to me. I think you are a gardener. I am, yes. I am not a gardener. <laughs> I feel everything. I'm not allowed to touch our house plants. Like, <laughs> I have these big dreams and like I can imagine it. And so when my partner and I talk about like starting a vegetable garden, He's like, ah, it just feels really overwhelming to like do the planning. And I'm like, you know what? I'll do the planning. Like, I would love that. You do the actual like planting of things or like monitoring me because I'm great at like a big project, but maintenance is not my shtick. And when I think about building a business, I think we have to go to the place of like, okay, what works for you? Like, how do you grow things in your life? Are you a big project kind of person? Are you great at maintenance? Are you somewhere in between? And then like you're talking about start to hire people to do the other things for you. Right. Yeah. And around that piece of hiring, like something that I think about a lot, Jen, when we're thinking about basically like, how do we do good with the power we accumulate? That's a big part of it, right? Because money is powerful and money is power. And, and what I'm hearing is sometimes you're supporting folks and, and so am I who don't feel even kind of entitled in a healthy way to what is more than the minimum, right? Like we they've kind of carved out a little spot in the world for themselves and they're like, well, this is it. And I mean, it's, it's fine. So I'll just stay here, right? And you with that little bit of perspective can see like, could do better than fine? What would be good? You know, so there's that end of the spectrum. But then I think on the other end, when we do start to build successful practices, um, either because we have like a premium fee and we really hone in our niche and like clients are flowing in and we're able to start offering other offers, you know, that bring more money into our world, or we start a group practice because we're great at supervising people. And, you know, we start to attract more and more clients to work with these peers that we've hired. What I think about too, is how in accumulating that, that power, that flow of energy through your business, that money, you also then to get to make decisions around like, what kind of place is this to work? Is this a good place to work? Or is this just like replicating the same kind of capitalist 
patterns where it's like, I don't really care who you are. I don't care that it's your birthday today. Happy birthday to you. Anyways, keep working. Right. Which is like, we just, uh, today we have a new administrator who started with us a few months ago and we found out that it was her birthday yesterday. And the way that her life is set up is like, they'd be celebrating late at night because her boyfriend works till very late at night. And when we realized that we just like gave her today off. Cause like, why would we make her come into work after like partying? Cause she's young and full of life. <laughs> Good for her. I'm probably a little jealous. It kind of like blew her mind that we just proactively gave her a day off in recognition of her birthday, because that's not how we're used to being treated. I certainly was not treated like that. You know, when I was at the beginning of my career, people weren't helping me proactively think about what would be a really nice way to spend my birthday. But we get to do that when we have accumulated the monetary power to be able to employ people and have help. And I think that's something that is really powerful and that we can forget sometimes when we get to the other end of that spectrum and we become more entitled. And now we're going for those vanity metrics rather than thinking about like, oh my gosh, this workplace impacts 12 people's lives every day. What do I want their lives to be like? How do I want to make their lives better by them working for me? I think a lot of the reason that we have people in the mental health space and perhaps in other helping professions who really are shitty bosses Mm -hmm. and run exploited businesses is because they're not fucking doing their work. Yeah. That's what I keep coming back to again and again. It's actually one of the things I love so much about my marketing consulting piece I'm sort of just making it up as I go along and I'm discovering by being really clear of who I'd love to work with, work with people like you, Lindsay, like thoughtful, grounded, who do their inner work. They go to therapy. They engage in all of these other ways to understand themselves more and more and more. And those are the people I keep wanting to be like, yes, expand, like more entitlement, like have more because I can trust that they're going to show up and really treat the people they work with as partners and certainly hold like the boundary of like where their boss yeah, or where their therapist, but treat them like people and tap into empathy, which is one of our greatest skills. And I think if you don't do your work, you get calcified and it's easier to try to meet unconscious unmet needs through playing out old stories just with new people. Mm-hmm. That is so true. Yeah. So it's like this combination of, of doing your work and then also letting yourself build and going for what you really want that can create this, this beautiful impact. You're operating from a very different space when it's not about making up for unmet needs, right? When it's about creating something wonderful in the world, that's a very different space than making up for never feeling good enough <laughs> or yes. trying to accumulate endless amounts of money because you never feel secure. Yes. Yeah. Jen, thinking about all of these things then, like from your perspective, I'm curious, what is then kind of the the value of having your money game in order or having your business really working for you or or being rich or accumulating wealth? Like what is the value of these things from, from your perspective? When I was 13, and my parents have very warped relationship with money, but my dad said to me, well, if you want to have a car someday, you're going to have to earn it. And I took him quite literally. And so I started babysitting, worked at McDonald's, which is like the best job I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. It was so fun. Like there was always stuff to be busy and then you got to engage with people. But so I worked all, all through my adolescence and saved about 50%, which is like nobody except the fire people are saving 50% of their overall income. But I saved all this money and I bought my car. And it grew up in a, a really highly controlled community. And when I sat in that car, I thought, oh, I can go anywhere I want. 
it didn't go anywhere spectacular. I went down the street and got a lobster roll and a raspberry lime rookie, but I could <laughs> go anywhere that I wanted. I remember at that moment thinking, oh, I feel rich. Like I own my own car. I have freedom. I bought freedom with all of that work, which is a narrative I still have to unwind in myself that you don't just have to work hard to get what you need and want. Yes. But when you ask me, like, what does it mean? to be rich, I think about like, what are those things I really need right now? And I actually keep thinking like to be rich would be to have all the time I want with my kid to get to still see my clients, to still get to Mm -hmm. do this work because it's meaningful and like rich to me, Mm -hmm. but also to go and sit in a different car that is slowly dying. And I'll have to get a new one probably this year, but just go sit in my car and do fucking nothing not have to talk to anybody, like (laughs) maybe go to Arby's and get a shake. Like that would feel good and rich. And part of it is a space in life. I don't get a lot of time to myself. There's a lot of holding of other people. And so the idea of like, I could just be in my car and my car could hold me for a little while. Like it's actually making me tear up a little bit. Like, oh, I really actually think maybe I need to go get a Jamoka shake this afternoon. It sounds like it. Yes. I encourage this behavior. Yeah. I mean, it sounds a lot like having that money, it gives possibility in some ways, maybe a little bit of escape from whatever's difficult at the time, right? Like you're in early parenthood right now. Some time alone is just like the best thing you can imagine, right? When you were younger, being able to be not where you were and be somewhere else was the best thing you can imagine. So it it gives us options. I worked with you 2018. I was in your beta, which is like this big, beautiful, amazing course now. But I was lucky because I got lots of access to you. And one of the things I remember really sold me, you talked about, yeah, and like you can make sure that you save for maternity leave. Mm -hmm. I was like, one can do that in private practice? Like that is an option. Like I just thought I have to pay my taxes and pay myself and like somehow maybe it will work out. And I joined your class because I am a a straight A like chaser. Like I wanted to do well. I wanted my CPA to be proud of me and my bookkeeping skills. And when I realized like, oh, actually learning to manage my money can allow me to build the kind of life that I want. I actually don't have to manage my money. I mean, I still manage my money in some ways, but I have a bookkeeper. I have a CPA. I I don't have to do the labor. No, I have a financial planner who like gives me suggestions of what to do. Yeah. And so when it came to the place that I was pregnant, I had a maternity leave fund and I got to take as long as I wanted. And I got to come back part-time and I got to come back because I missed my clients, not yes. because I was like, I got to make money. Money is an empty symbol, just like any other symbol. It's what you decide to put into it. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, at least money represents space. Mm. Can I have space for myself? Can I have space for the things I want? Mm -hmm. I hear that. And I think what I'm hearing for you is like, that space is not just like, I don't want to work anymore. I want space away from work. Cause I think that's sometimes the fantasy that we can have too, when we're like kind of more on the burnout side of things where we're like, I just won't be a therapist anymore. I'll just cook all day. (laughs) We kind of fantasize what this escape is, but I'm hearing for you. Part of that is like, there is a real balance. Like you love the work that you do that nurtures a part of you. And then also it gives you the opportunity to spend as much time with your daughter as you want. Right. So you get yes. both of those things. It's not an either or, yes. but it allows you to get the right mix of kind of stimulation into your world. I love that. I love that. So Jen, 
I know marketing is your jam, which I so appreciate because it's so not my jam. So I'm so glad there are thoughtful people like you out there helping us with marketing. What do you see as the connection between marketing and money? If money is what holds the space, in fact, let's say money is maybe the container, like the consult room that allows you to do the work. There's enough safety there. Marketing is the message. Marketing is the communication. Marketing is the relationship. Yeah. And so when you're marketing, then are you kind of creating those right fit relationships or are you putting it out in the world? Spell it out for me a little more. So I think marketing is really it's sort of like money. Like we can come up with lots of like, like I got to do all these things. And therefore now I can make money or have money or money can do these things for me. Marketing is really just about relationship. You can't have a relationship with people if you stay hidden away in your room and nobody ever gets to know you. Like that's going to be really hard to form a relationship. And you get to show up in different ways. You get to choose who you want to be in some ways. We can all have ways that we feel comfortable, like the social personas that we wear. And very much, I mean, that's what marketing is, is being able to show up in your persona as authentically as you can manage. Like you asked me earlier, like, ooh, would this cut too close to the bone? And I thought, no, like literally (laughs) just show up sometimes maybe too naked. When I'm doing kind of like, this is sort of a marketing activity for me. I get to come hang out with you, share with people who I am, what I do. I'm not here to sell people on doing anything one way or the other. I'm here to show people like, hey, this is who I am. And I don't want to call people to action. Like you must do all of these things in order to be successful, but to offer like, hey, if you want to do some healing, Mm -hmm. like marketing is a really good path that you can start to really get to know yourself and what keeps you blocked from really showing up and being visible. So there's a lot of self-work that can happen always as you're working on your marketing. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. Like I'm thinking about this, Jen, because I'm, I'm somebody who has, you know, I'm sure I could pay you a lot of money to help me with my own blocks around marketing because I'm a very private person. So it's not in my nature to really share who I am. And these are things, conversations that I'm having in my life, like literally as recently as yesterday, I sent a good friend of mine a message about marketing and kind of my blocks, the things that make it hard for me. Um, but something that I do think about, we chatted a little bit before we went on mic about swearing. You asked me if this was a swearing friendly space. And I said, yes, it absolutely is. And that's actually something I I recently got some feedback from somebody that they didn't like my cussing, which is like funny. I remember Laura Long talking about this so long ago. And my response was the similar to what I remember I saw Laura Long say, which is kind of like, I'm probably actually not the right person for you then, you know, because something that if I think about myself and I was reflecting on this this morning, I do swear. I don't swear excessively. I don't just pepper sentences with swear words, but even as a clinician, I would swear with my clients. If my clients swear, I'm going to swear back with them to join them in that space. Right. And so that's actually kind of part of my authenticity. And if I did try to hide that and never put myself out there swearing in things that could be marketing activities, I'm kind of not really giving them the full picture of what the experience of working with me is like. Right. So it's actually, in a way, it's part of my marketing. (laughs) Yes. Is swearing and letting people know I do kind of authentically express myself like this from time to time. There was a study several years ago that actually said that when people in positions of authority swear, like their trustworthiness goes up Mm -hmm. because it is seen as something that is. Maybe that it is more of like a private thing. And so then if you're willing to do it on a public stage or like Mm. in a public arena, it makes you more relatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that you say like, oh, and I'm a very private person, Mm. which in 
a way is its own defense of I don't have to do that because here I fit this archetype mm, of like right, right. very private. One of the things I do with my students, and actually I have a free offer that your audience might yes. like, really like let's break down those blocks of what are you actually playing out when you say I'm a very private person or I don't do self-disclosure because mm-hmm. that could like rupture the therapeutic relationship mm-hmm. in the future, blah, 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 blah. That there is a way that we're trying to guard our own pain as opposed to letting it breathe, like letting it get some air. And I don't know that you always have to like do the most raw thing in your marketing. No. Sometimes if you can examine like, what is it that is holding you back? Like, what is the thing? Like, I will not do that. I was like, Ooh, Oh, what am I avoiding in myself? Mm-hmm. That play right. is like something I just cannot do. Right. Like, how can I bring more play into my own life? And actually be willing to show up and like look incompetent. Yes. So I'd be curious what your privacy might actually say. I'll take it to Uh, therapy. Don't worry about me. Oh, good, good, good. (laughs) So Jen, for folks who want to find you, where's the the best social media place for them to find you? Or are you really hanging out in a few? (laughs) TikTok is my like, no, they can come follow me on TikTok if they want. It's like sandbox for me. Like it's play therapy, like come hang out, but I am not consistent or regular on that (laughs) platform. I regularly show up on Instagram though, at a thinker's guide. So Instagram is probably the best place to come and connect. I aim to respond to people's DMs. So if you're listening, feel free to drop me a DM or come hang out with me on a live where Lindsay is not here to keep me grounded. And so I just ramble about (laughs) what's in my head. And then you mentioned a free offer. So if folks want to get more in your world, what do you got for them? You talking about your privacy. I thought, oh, I got to like tell Lindsay's people about my diagnosing your struggles with marketing. Mm. It's a workbook, but those of you who will get to know me know that I do not do anything succinctly. So it's like a 10 page, (laughs) like journaling prompts, like let's dig deep and like really get into what does your marketing actually say about what's going on underneath. And because I'm a therapist, I have five different interventions to help you start to work through each of those places that you really get stuck. They can check that out at athinkersguide.com slash DX. Great. Perfect. And we'll put the link to that in the show notes. So it's easy for them to get to. I love thoughtful, meaty freebies. So thank you for putting that out there. And thank you, Jen. It's been lovely talking to you today. Same, same. In my conversation with Jen, this piece about the importance of doing your own work that she brought up just really sticks out to me and really rings true. Um, It makes me reflect on some of the behaviors or impulses I've sometimes seen in myself when there's something that I'm trying to live out through my business that is not really about you know, the work that I'm doing or, or the money, you know, when we kind of attach other meaning to our business because of stuff that we haven't worked on personally. It also makes me think of behaviors of therapists and other business owners who I love, who sometimes I see that the thing that's driving them is not really something that's balanced. You know, it's more about an unmet need, as Jen would put it. I think there's so much wisdom to that. Maybe this should be a reminder to all of us to uh, keep doing our personal work. And if we're noticing that something in our business is feeling really anxiety producing, or we're feeling really rigid around a certain thing, 
it's probably not about our business or our private practice. And it is a chance to step back and be curious about ourselves and work on things so that the impact that our businesses have in the world can be aligned with our values and can align with our politics and making the world better rather than what can sometimes be a bit of an unbalanced force. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Money Nuts and Bolts. That's where we put out our practical and emotional mindset money content all the time. And that's where you can keep in touch with us between podcast seasons as well before we're back in season three. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please jump over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That is the best way for people to find us. I hope that you all have a wonderful month or two. If you're at the end of season two and there's no season three yet, I look forward to connecting with you all again when season three comes around soon. <laughs>